Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. What's up, New Orleans? What's up across the Gulf South? And what's up to you listening wherever you are tonight at WWL.com or the Radio.com app? Boy, we have a monster show for you here tonight. Kentucky Derby fallout, still the talk of the country after for the first time in the 145 years of that race, you had a disqualification costing what seemed like the winner, maximum security, the race, and it went to the runner-up. We'll get to that in just a little. We got some sound for you from the race and also Mike DeLiberto. The racetrack's going to come on in and talk about the fallout from the Derby and what it means for the rest of the Triple Crown races, the Preakness and the Belmont, and really uh, for horse racing. And then I want to get into the Saints' second half of this hour. And Bobby and I talked about this last Friday when I was hosting Sports Talk with him. The question deserves to be asked, and not that it needs to be answered in the affirmative, but the question needs to be asked, is the Saints' championship window closing quicker than people think? It's still open right now. There's no doubt about that this year. But is this their last best year to try to win that second championship? Also be following the NBA playoffs uh, today. Right now, Milwaukee a five-point lead on the road against Boston, 91-86, to midway through the fourth quarter later tonight in about 30 minutes, tip-off between Golden State and Houston. Houston trying to even up that series at two games apiece. In the 9 o'clock hour, we're going to talk some LSU baseball. The first time since 1982 that they lost a home series to Ole Miss. The Rebels winning in dramatic fashion yesterday. 19 to 15. Jeff Palermo, the Louisiana Radio Network, comes on in. And my column and blog that was posted about a half an hour ago at WWL.com asked the question to you, the LSU fans out there, is Paul Maneri really on the hot seat? And should he be? We're going to have a pretty intense discussion about that in the 9 o'clock hour. And lots of backlash. You heard Chris Miller and News talk about it. Superdome renovation backlash. Lawmakers now getting heavily involved in this. With, frankly, they should be. I mean, this is a lot of money, a lot of public money going towards that proposed project. We'll get into that. And the XFL has a new TV deal. Then NBA playoffs in the 10 o'clock hour. Recap what happens tonight. Sean Devaney, the sporting news, comes on in. And then I'll tell you why the internet is ruining everything. It's a little spoiler here. But I have never been as frustrated and upset just with the internet and social media in general as I have been about the last 24 hours where they are taking and sucking the joy out of every little thing and I think way too many people get a kick out of it look at that in the 10 o'clock hour though 504-260-1870 that's the phone number our text line is 870-870 so the Kentucky Derby my goodness what fallout has come from that? So I was sitting over by the fairgrounds, sitting at my buddy's house. We had a bunch of people there um, just outside enough where we were listening to Dave Matthews about the time that the Kentucky Derby come on and, and we turned up the TV and everybody huddled around like we do. I mean, this is 
And it's true when people say it's the most exciting two minutes in sports. I believe that. It's must-watch television in the truest form. And this is Americana, American sports, Americana sports in its truest form. You got to love it. So we watched the race, and it was a great race. I tweeted out right after Maximum Security had crossed the finish line, looking like he won by about a length and a half. I tweeted out, incredible race. And it really was. It was one of the better Kentucky Derbies from start to finish that I had seen. Then... As soon as the jockey started talking, we turned off the TV and went back and started hanging out more. And again, you know, listen to Dave Matthews through the air on the opposite side of the fairground. And then I start getting text messages and start getting Twitter notifications that all heck had broken loose. And there was a challenge to maximum security's win. And well, I'm going to let Mike Tirico, courtesy of Westwood One, he was calling the broadcast on NBC, tell you exactly how this 30 to 45 minutes of tense, um, I guess, negotiations behind the scene went, and it ended up with maximum security being disqualified. And here you will hear the booze rained down on Churchill Downs like I'd never really heard or seen in a horse race before. Here's Mike Tariq. So maximum security was taken down for race riding. That's the name for the foul that happened. First time it's ever happened. First time a DQ has happened. Kat Terrell, a friend of the program, she's on Sports Talk. She wrote a great piece at ESPN.com pointing out that the only other disqualification in the race's history occurred way back in 1968, but that was after the fact for uh, drug use. A horse tested positive for some performance-enhancing substances. So most of the sports world that was tuned into this started freaking out, and rightfully so, I suppose. I'm not saying that the decision was wrong. I'm saying I understand the freakout because, frankly, I didn't even really understand what was going on, and I didn't really understand the nuances of why this penalty was legitimate and needed to be called. But when I started seeing the replay... If you've been around these majestic animals at all in your life, and I'm not just talking about on the track, I'm talking about anywhere, you will understand how big and imposing these horses are. And when they're running at full speed and you see a horse clip its front end into the hind end of another horse, I'm telling you when I watch it in slow motion – even knowing how it ended and nobody was certain you didn't see any tumbles i thought holy smokes that could have ended up when horses killed and jockeys killed incredibly dangerous and frankly i don't understand how you didn't have a big pile up here so barbara bolden the head steward lead steward of the kentucky derby again after about you know 30 minutes of deliberation they decide to award country house at 65 to 1 the Kentucky Derby, and here she is explaining that decision after the fact. And they did. And now you have a 65-1 to horse who is your Kentucky Derby winner. And let's be honest here, almost no shot that you're going to see that horse win a couple of more races and win a triple crown. It's an incredible moment, but my view of it, number one, I think looking back and now being explained, admittedly, I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a horse racing expert. We're going to have one on Mike DeLiberto in about five minutes. Once the rules were explained to me 
the race riding rules, and then just being around horses. I had horses growing up. I lived on a you know a, a farm, basically, 20 acres. We had three to four horses basically the whole time that I grew up. And knowing how big, physical, and intimidating those things can be, when I saw the contact, there has to be a rule for that, or you're going to have jockeys and horses die on the track. I bet Mike DeLiberto backs me up here on this. I don't know. I haven't talked to, talk to him about this. The other thing is, are we really going to freak out and lose sleep over what happened at the Kentucky Derby? 95% of even the people who are listening to this program, the sports program we have here on WWL at night, will not watch a single second of another horse race all year long. So if you're somebody freaking out about this, I don't really understand why, because you don't care about horse racing except for this one Saturday in May. And in a week or two, nobody's going to be talking about it. Heck, in a couple of days, nobody's going to be talking about it. Bucks up 92-103. 103-92, Milwaukee leading the Celtics in game four of that Eastern Conference semifinal series. About three minutes left, so it looks like the Bucks are going to take a 3-1 lead and put the Celtics on the precipice of elimination. We'll take a break. We're coming back with Mike Diliberto to talk more about the Kentucky Derby fallout as we continue here on the last lap. The Milwaukee Bucks, one minute and 22 seconds away from taking a 3-1 lead against Boston. 107-98 now, and, well, they just hit a free throw, so 108-98. That game's basically over, and the Celtics will be on elimination watch down three games to one in that next game. Warriors-Rockets, game four of that series, We'll tip off in about 10 minutes or so. That game's on a TNT tonight. We'll try to uh, bring you some highlights courtesy of Westwood One. Again, we're talking about the fallout from the Kentucky Derby. Maximum security was disqualified and at Country House 65-1. to one. He was uh, installed as the winner. I gave you my thoughts, played some sound in segment one. Let's bring on in now Mike Diliberto to analyze it for us morning lines maker at the fairgrounds here in new orleans and and mike uh, welcome back and, and what was your initial reaction to all this on saturday well uh, actually i was kind of surprised that they did take him down i mean for many many years the kentucky derby has been allowed to be a fairly rough run race and there have been a lot of occasions where horses cut off other horses and horses had a steady and nothing was ever done about it. Uh, in saying that, uh, they did change uh, the philosophy and they seen a foul and they called the foul. And, uh, you know, maximum security definitely coming into the turn, heading for the stretch, came out two or three paths, tightened it up, bumped, and really, uh, it's amazing, War Will, they almost got their legs crossed. I don't know how they didn't go down, one of them. And then that forced them out into long-range toddy, and he also ended up having to steady and pull back a little bit. Uh, I really don't think that it changed the outcome for the winner. I think Maximum Security re-engaged and drew off and won by almost two lengths. I think he was the best horse and would have won the race had he not drifted out. But the fact that he did drift out, the stewards thought it was enough to uh, – you know, disqualify him, and, and that's what they did. Uh, very tough, very tough decision. Uh, hopefully, you know, they'll look at this race because generally that is a foul in 95% of races. You see that, and a lot of time, most of the time, the horses do get disqualified. But uh, the Derby, for many, many years, 
they wanted you to win it on the racetrack, and it really would have to be something really, really bad for them to take a horse down. And and obviously they thought that was enough to do it, you know, Saturday. Yeah, to your point, first time in the 145-year history of the Kentucky Derby that we've had a an after-race disqualification like this, at least while everybody was still on the site. Uh, can you, Mike, explain to the, the casual horse racing observers like myself and most of our audience why this race riding, which is what they call it, uh, is a is a penalty and why you can get disqualified for this? Because a lot of people have you know tweeted me and said, well, you can do this you know in, in, in auto racing why can't you do it in horse racing but uh, i would assume it's a safety issue mike is that right hey, you know and and actually i think where they really dropped the ball was after the races when they issued their statement of what they did they didn't allow the media to ask some questions to explain the exact position because you know you got two thousand probably media people covering the kentucky derby i guarantee you Fifteen or sixteen hundred of them don't follow racing very rarely, other than the Kentucky Derby, and they're not familiar with, you know, what all the rules are and how how it plays out. And had the stewards been allowed to answer some, take some questions, and explain their thought and explain the rules, then they might have understood it a little bit better about what actually happened. Uh, you know, it's a, it's basically a safety issue. Uh, generally, a horse when he comes out crossing another horse's path they want you to be you know a length and a half in front when you start changing lanes like that because horses can clip heels uh on the other horse you know the back horse can clip the back the heels of the front horse and boom go down and it could cause a change reaction a very bad incident could happen uh you know it happened in a turn and he did come out two or three paths and and he did force you know some other horses to study and stuff and and you know and if for a safety reason that's why they have those you know parameters in place uh you know it, it you, you, it's just like in an nfl i mean uh you you, you what you ask is to try to be consistent with the calls and we see a lot of times on pass interference you don't think it's pass interference and the same play will happen four plays later and it is pass interference and that's what you know that's one of the things with the human element uh a lot of times, you know, the stewards aren't totally consistent with, you know, making the same call over and over again, they, you know, because it is a judgment call. And being on the big stage like that, you know, it was a tough call for them to make. But uh, I can't fault that they took the horse down. I was a little surprised that they did, being that it was the Kentucky Derby. You know, to piggyback on your analogy there, I guess this would be kind of like a pickup ball where you're calling your own penalties because the two objections were lodged by the jockeys for Country House and, and Long Range Toddy. I'm just curious about, uh, you know, the, the inside-the-bubble reaction that those jockeys and the trainers will get from lodging those objections. Do you think that uh, other other trainers, other jockeys will look at them disfavorably because of logging that objection at the at the you know, I don't think they will will get you know any any feedback from that. But actually, what what actually occurred, which started the whole ball rolling, was trainer Bill Mott, and he admitted this in an interview yeah uh, yesterday that his other horse Tacticus, who actually finished fourth in the race, ridden by Jose Ortiz, he actually didn't get bothered. But when he came back and unsaddled, he told Billy Mott, he says, "Man, he says." There was a lot of bumping and shifting around coming into this turn for the top of the stretch, and I think maximum security caused it. You ought to go talk to Flavor and Pratt, who was Country House's jockey, and tell him, you know, and tell him he ought to claim foul. 
because Flair and Pop, you know, really didn't get bothered that much at all the 20 horse. But so Billy Mott went over to him and told him, go ahead and claim foul. I want you to get in there and claim foul. So Billy Mott actually started the ball rolling by getting Flavian Pratt, Pratt to claim foul. And really, he wasn't one of the ones that was involved. It was uh, War of Will, the one horse, and then uh, Long Range Toddy were the two that really suffered the most uh, from the from the drifting out and tightening everything up. So, uh, But, uh, you know, jockeys, you know, they, they claim foul on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they accept the foul. A lot of times they don't. And uh, you hate to th- you hate to say it, uh, Seth, but sometimes, you know, it comes into, you know, the, the, the personalities come into effect. I mean, I know many a times you watch a lot of football and stuff. You say Tom Brady gets away with a whole lot of calls that other quarterbacks don't get away with. You know, yeah. you barely touch him. They call a personal foul where other quarterbacks, you, you knock them down and they don't even call it. So, and I think, you know, had somebody like Bob Baffert been the trainer of maximum security, I'm not totally sure they would have took him down because, of the, you know, he's one of the prominent names in horse racing and Jason Service isn't. Uh, he's, uh, you know, uh, up and coming and not as well known as, uh, you know, some of the bigger names in the game. So I, I think all of that comes into play. I can't fault what they what they did. Uh, Mike Watchmaker, who's the handicapper for the Daily Racing Forum, the National uh, Horse Racing Newspaper, he, he had a really good article that he wrote after the Derby. And basically what he said was, for the first time in 144 years or 145 years, the stewards treated the Kentucky Derby just like it was a regular race instead of a race where you had to really do something really, really bad to get taken down. Mike Diliberto, morning lines maker at the fairgrounds. Uh, Mike, great analysis of that incident on Saturday. Really appreciate it, and I know we'll talk to you before the Preakness in a couple of weeks. Thanks so much. Sounds great. Hi, Seth. All right, there he goes. And, yeah, the Preakness, Saturday, May 18th, so we got a couple of weeks for that. Maximum security will not run in that race that broke either yesterday or earlier today that was announced break it for cbs news back talking saints welcome back to the show great stuff again from mike diliberto morning odds maker lines maker at the fairgrounds preakness a couple of weeks may 18th and it would be the longest of all long shots if country house were to win this triple crown um remember he was 65 to 1 at the kentucky derby one of the I guess, greatest underdogs to ever win that race. It is a final in Boston. The Milwaukee Bucks have defeated the Celtics 113-101. to So Milwaukee goes up three games to one in that series, and they're one game away from heading to the Eastern Conference Finals. Of course, yesterday we saw Toronto evening up their series against the Philadelphia Sixers. Two games apiece there. That game, most people kind of thought it would go six or seven coming into that series, and it looks like... It certainly will. And then Golden State, Houston, they are tipping off momentarily in Houston. The Rockets winning in overtime in game three. They'll try to even up that series at two games apiece. We'll see what they do tonight and see if Harden goes for a 40 ball again or not. Let's talk some Saints, though, here. And our text line isn't working, just so you know, uh, tonight. So no 870-870 tonight. If you want to talk with us and you want to comment on this, you're going to have to give us a call at 504-260-1870. And this topic was spurred on by the discussion that Bobby Hebert and I were having on, on Friday. A little bit impromptu. But we were looking at all the expiring contracts for the Saints in 2020 and wondering aloud, we did on the air on Sports Talk, 
if this really is this year coming up is really the Saints last best chance to win a championship and whether their championship window will shut entirely after that or at least slam pretty close to shut just to give you an example of it's not a crisis because every NFL team deals with pending exoduses like the one that the Saints are going to see this offseason and the Saints have certainly dealt with it before multiple times in the Sean Payton era but Listen to all of these guys who have their contracts expiring after this season. Drew Brees, A.J. Klein, Eli Apple, Andres Pete, Ted Ginn, Cameron Meredith, Teddy Bridgewater, Michael Thomas, Von Bell, David Onyemata, P.J. Williams, Ken Crawley, Taysom Hill, Dan Arnold, Keith Kirkwood, Justin Hardy, Garrett Griffin. Now, some of these guys are role players, no doubt about it. But a lot of these guys are going to get paid when they hit the open market. Guys like Eli Apple, whether he stays here or goes somewhere else, even for as inconsistent as he's been in his career, when you have a 23-year-old cornerback with those kind of raw skills, that's going to be highly desirable on the open market. Andres Pete, one of the better guards in the NFL. Guards now are getting paid. We know about Michael Thomas. David Onyemata, you play that swing roll on the defensive line. You have a couple of corners in Crawley and Williams, who I don't th- – you're going to affect more than the minimum, I would think, somewhere. We know Taysom Hill. And the Saints are going to do everything they can, I would assume, to keep Taysom. But what he's done here in Sean Payton's offense, he's going to get, if, here, if he does stay here, a major pay raise. So with all of this in front of the Saints – And then the year after that, you've got guys like Cameron Jordan, whose contracts are up, Larry Warford, Demario Davis, Sheldon Rankins, Marcus Williams, Craig Robertson, Alvin Kamara, Alex Anzalone, Trey Hendrickson. You've got to start to wonder, how long is this championship window going to stay open? Now, typically in the NFL, your windows to win a title, your real windows to win a title close after two to three years and then you either have to go through a period of reloading for a year or two before you get back to that championship level contention or you just got to completely rebuild now the saints went through a relative rebuild with those seven and nine seasons before they got back here let's take the patriots out of this the patriots are their own animal we could go down the list of franchises who are have dealt with just that the seahawks three years of championship contention and then they had to retool pittsburgh you had about four years when they were back in championship contention remember late part of the first decade of this millennium made a couple of super bowls were competing for multiple then they had to reload and then they did never made a super bowl but were playing in conference championships and divisional games now it certainly looks like they're going to be reloading a little bit if not rebuilding, I guess it depends on uh, what happens with Ben Roethlisberger this year. Look at the Packers. Two straight years. I don't think people realize this. Have not made the playoffs the last two years. The Packers with Aaron Rodgers. They were competing for titles for five years there or so, four or five years. Now they're reloading. Ravens, same deal. They look like they're back on the upswing, certainly after last year, making the playoffs with the rookie quarterback and 
I got to tell you, I really like what Baltimore's done this offseason. They've got to be near the top of my sneaky favorite lists over in the AFC. But the point is here with the Saints, don't take for granted that just because of the way that this team has drafted over the past two to three years, that they're going to be playing into the divisional round or later in the playoffs for the foreseeable future, regardless of whether Drew Brees sticks around or not. Now, we all know the the elephant in the room is Drew Brees and whether he calls it quits after this year, signs a new contract, and how well he plays. But even outside of that, I've argued that I think the Saints can be relevant with Teddy Bridgewater or Taysom Hill or somebody else at quarterback because of all the pieces they have around Drew. Now, nobody wants to see Drew go. Nobody wants to see Drew go on anything but his terms. If he even plays, let's say he has a a relatively mediocre year for Drew, and then he decides, well, he doesn't want to go out like that. He wants to come back. I'm not going to be sitting here on the radio saying, well, the Saints should move on from Drew Brees, regardless of how much money he wants. He has earned the right to call it quits on his term. He's done too much for the franchise. He's done too much for the city. And I do not think the Saints and Mickey Loomis and Gail Benson and Dennis Lausch and Sean Payton would do him any way but that. But it does deserve to be said, you've got to wonder if it's in the Saints' best interests from long-term contention perspective, if they don't have that you know, $25 million, $30 million a year contract that Drew Brees is saddling them with. And saddling, I don't mean that in a derogatory way. He's earned every penny of that. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I've sat here and debated with you both times his last two contracts have come up and say get out of here with you wanting drew to take less money he deserves to make as much money as he can possibly squeeze out of the organization but if you look at all those contracts coming up and you see that ball of money that's tied to drew Brees, of course he's not under contract this year but if you project forward and let's say drew has another mvp type year and he wants to come back well then you're paying him 30 million dollars or so unless he wants to take that you know discount which i don't think he should or will that frees up a lot of money to pay guys like michael thomas to pay guys like Taysom hill and david on Probably not Andres Pete. I think he's on his way out here. But maybe a guy like Eli Apple. A.J. Klein's contract is up, although I don't think he will be back after this, but you never know if it's a team-friendly deal. Remember, he's making $6 million a year right now to be a serviceable, not spectacular, linebacker. So what do you think? I'm curious to know what you Saints fans think out there. Remember, our text line isn't working tonight, so you've got to give us a call, 504-260-1870. Is the Saints championship window closing? And is it in their best interests in a selfish franchise-centric type of way if Drew Brees you know, wins a title this year and goes out and then they would have all that extra money to pay everybody else on the roster? 504-260-1870. That's 504-260-1870. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll tonight. What's the biggest weakness on the Saints roster? Got some positions listed there. We'll have that up for you on the opinion poll. Logan's behind the glass. Seth Dunlap, it's the last lap here on WWL. Getting some interesting comments on my column from earlier tonight on whether Paul Maneri is really on the hot seat for LSU baseball or not. 
You can find that at WWL.com, radio.com app, and we will discuss that next hour. Also, Jeff Palermo of the LSU Sports Radio Network and Louisiana Radio Network will join us at 9-10. LSU losing a home series to Ole Miss for the first time since the first Reagan administration. It's incredible. Injuries have just decimated and brutalized this season for the Tigers. Quick look at the NHL scoreboard tonight. Bruins trying to put away the Blue Jackets, and Boston has a 3-2 series lead. They have a 3-0 lead in the third period. Two minutes to play, so Boston certainly looks like they are going to advance. Later tonight, San Jose trying to wrap up things with the Colorado Avalanche in Denver. 3-2 series lead there. Puck drops at, what is it, 9 o'clock, just after 9 o'clock Central Time tonight. Told you Milwaukee defeated Boston 113-101. They have a 3-1 lead against the Celtics in that series. Rockets Warriors are underway. They're in break right now, 6.56 to play in the opening quarter. 10-8, the Rockets lead. Warriors a 2-1 series lead there. Uh, leading scorer right now in the game is Clay Thompson for the Warriors with four points on two of three shooting from the field. We're talking about the Saints and their their window possibly closing. And I say possibly. I'm not answering that in the affirmative yet. I just think the question needs to be asked, especially with all of the contracts up this next year. It's going to be a really interesting offseason. For, for as relatively dull as this one was because of the last of, lack of draft picks and the last of any you know splash free agent signings, next year has a chance to be incredibly explosive. He'll have lots of cap space, but a lot of that space that they're going to be allocating go to guys like Michael Thomas and Taysom Hill and maybe Teddy Bridgewater or Eli Apple and A.J. Klein. We'll see. Just check out Spot Track, you know, favorite site to go check out all the contracts. You can see everybody up for contract next year. Michael Thomas's contract is the one that really intrigues me, and I've talked about it on the program, done many segments on the program on it. My personal philosophy here, and I think it's backed up by in many front offices across the league, is you just don't pay wide receivers no matter how good they are in the modern salary capped era of the nfl this isn't an anti-michael thomas thing at all i'm telling you what many people in very well-run front offices in the nfl think they will not pay a wide receiver 20 million dollars a year they're not paying a wide receiver you know 10 percent or so of the salary cap it's not going to happen and the, the the lack of championship success by those receivers or teams who have signed those contracts, given those contracts out to receivers, back this up. But you've heard me, you're tired of hearing me say it yet? That the only time in the last 25 years that a wide receiver who's the highest paid wide receiver in the league has even made the Super Bowl? It's happened one time in 25 years. That was Julio Jones a couple of years ago. That's it. No Super Bowl championships, one Super Bowl appearance. That's not coincidence, folks. That's called mismanaged salary cap. That's the one that you're going to have to circle, and whether it's an extension later this offseason or whether Michael Thomas goes without a new contract into next season when the Saints will likely have to franchise him, and that will be ugly. You kind of see it coming. That's the one where you'll really know 
what Mickey Loomis and, and Jeff Ireland and more Loomis and Peyton than anybody else believe is the trajectory going forward of this franchise without Drew Brees. Do you want a $20 million a year wide receiver if you're either going through a rebuild or a retool, if that's Teddy Bridgewater? Maybe. Maybe the answer is yes. You want to have that elite wide receiver for whatever quarterback comes in after him. I just got to wonder here. I, I just don't know. Michael Thomas, to me, and I've written about this, and I'm on record saying if he's not the best receiver in the league, he's one of the three best receivers in the league. He just is. Heading into his fourth year, he's sensational. Looks like he's Hall of Fame trajectory. But the unfortunate reality of NFL economics is there are certain positions that are more expendable than others. And wide receiver is one of those spots. Running back is another spot that's been hit by that in recent years. It's surprising anymore when you see a first-round pick used on a running back, and certainly highly surprising if that's in the top 15, top 10. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley were the two guys that kind of shocked the football world. Now, behind that offensive line in Dallas – do you think that other running backs would have had similar, maybe not exactly the same success that Zeke has had, but similar success? I could argue that they would have. Are you paying Levy and Bell what he wanted at $15 million a year? $15 million for a running back? You don't find Alvin Kamara's in the third round of every draft. Saints got lucky, or you could say lucky, or they scouted and drafted extremely well, however you want to phrase it. I understand that It's an unfair comparison or unfair expectation to think Alvin Kamara is floating around in the third round of every NFL draft. However, the Saints did find their game changer in the third round. They found Michael Thomas in the second round. Traquan Smith, third round pick, and I like Traquan Smith's future here. Boy, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be highly interesting to watch all that play out. And I don't have the answers for you. I don't work in an NFL front office. I don't know what the Saints are going to do. I know what a lot of franchises would do. And I could name those franchises. The Packers aren't paying that kind of money. The Patriots aren't paying that kind of money to a receiver. Neither are the Ravens. Seahawks aren't. They've proven that. Now, you could say they're making the wrong decision with a guy like Michael Thomas. But those franchises seem to have been pretty darn successful in the postseason, not paying top-flight money to receivers and running backs. 504-260-1870. That's 260-1870. No text line tonight. We're having some well, technical difficulties with that. Our Blue Runner Gumbo opinion poll, what's the biggest weakness on the Saints roster? Tight end, receiver, defensive line, linebacker, safety. You tell us, WWL.com or the Radio.com app. I'm Seth Dunlap. The last lap continues on WWL. I can't quite figure out or decide if the Celtics implosion is helping or hurting a possible Anthony Davis trade there and the value that (laughs) the Pelicans would get in return. tell you, it's incredible to watch the Celtics team this year who entered the season as pretty heavy favorites in the Eastern Conference with everything they had coming back with LeBron no longer in the East and having played in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Most people thought that this was the Celtics conference to lose. Well, they're losing it. And they're losing it to the Milwaukee Bucks in pretty demoralizing fashion. Bucks tonight, 113-101. And 
Yanis was, I mean, he's he is the face of the league. I've seen that tweet a lot tonight from different people, but they're right. 39 points on 15 of 22 shooting. 16 boards, four assists, only two turnovers. I mean, he's just, he really is a freak, which his nickname, his moniker, speaks to. Remember, you can win 12K a day in our Intercom National Cash Contest. WWL gives you a chance to win $12,000 a day in our 12K a day giveaway every hour between 7 a.m. and 6 p.m. So not on this show, unfortunately. But you get a chance to win during then a grand an hour in our Intercom National Cash Contest. Listen for the code word right before the top of the hour news, and then you can text it to 72881. Don't miss your chance at $12,000 a day in the 12K a day giveaway weekdays on WWL. We are off tomorrow. It's a very short week on our show here. We have three days of LSU baseball. Tomorrow, it's LSU against Louisiana Tech over at the box. Pre-game, 6 o'clock, first pitch, 6.30. We'll have a little CBS Sports Radio syndicated after that. And then this weekend, you've got LSU against Arkansas on the road. Boy, it's a massive series, but one that LSU, you just figure with their injuries and how they play late, they're going to have a pretty hard time winning over there. Not that they can. It's going to be incredibly difficult. Next hour, we're going to talk LSU baseball at the top. Jeff Palermo of the Louisiana Radio Network will join us. And I will get into what I wrote about tonight in my column online. And that is, well, is Paul Maneri, the head coach for LSU baseball, is he really on the hot seat and should he be? And also, Superdome uh, Superdome Renovation has faced severe backlash from lawmakers today. And the XFL has a new TV deal that might make everybody believe and i think they should that the xfl is probably here to stay and it signaled that today with the deal that they signed with three major networks 504-260-1870 that's the phone number no text line tonight so just the phone we're gonna go live on facebook right now like we do every single day on the wwl radio facebook page how much longer will the saints championship window stay open you can chat about that with me wwl radio facebook Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. 